0: This morning, Romans chapter 5, trespass brought judgment, but the free gift brought justification. We're going to jump right back in because I'm determined in the Lord to to make these move as difficult as that can be. We're going to jump right back in this morning in Romans chapter 5 just to get us back on track. Paul writes to the church at Rome out of eager obligation. He's not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the wrath of God revealed against men, the righteousness of God revealed, and the power of God revealed unto salvation. It tells us of the Gospel's means and of the Gospel's end. That the means of salvation is by faith and for faith. For the source of our righteousness is faith and the purpose of our righteousness is faith. Salvation's end is redemption. Ransom, literally buying back His people to Himself from His own holy justice accomplished through the propitiation, the ransoming, the demand for our lifeblood with the lifeblood of Christ instead of yours and mine for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in doing so, God remains just while becoming the justifier. For Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as something it was not. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The very power of God on display. For while the means of salvation is faith, faith is not the cause of salvation. Faith is not magic. It has no power of its own. Faith does not magically make a dead man, woman, or child alive. Faith is not powerful in itself. Instead, the power lies in the One in whom we have faith. The One who is faithful. The God who calls into existence. That which does not exist. For the gospel is by faith and for faith. It is coming from somewhere and it is going somewhere. Namely, unto glory to God and joy for his people. For having been justified by faith, we rejoice. Paul said last week in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 through 2 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. Literally, we boast. We rejoice. We boast in hope of the glory of God. And some joy it must be for the manner of our boasting and what it is able to endure is truly profound. Let's make sure we don't sell the joy of the Gospel short this morning by making it less capable than it actually is capable. Paul continues in verse 3 it demonstrates to us the depth of the joy of the hope of God in which we boast. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, Paul says that the depth of the joy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is so sufficient in our boasting to allow us to rejoice and to boast in these things even in the midst of incredible suffering. Some joy that must be. And it is my prayer that we as the people of God have a joy in the hope of the salvation of Jesus Christ that is befitting of how the Gospels and how the Scripture describes it. It is that kind that is not only able to allow us to endure and just get through the suffering but even rejoice in the midst of it. If you understand the condition of men, and in light of that condition, the glory of God, I believe that that joy is most clearly seen. That's exactly where Paul's going to take us this morning as he continues in chapter 5 and verses 12 through 14. And Paul writes in verse 12 and says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted, literally not enumerated. Sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul says that the reality... That the wages of sin is death has resulted through the sin of Adam to bring death to all mankind. You can't understand the gospel if you don't understand what occurred in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, as you can see, there's a whole lot of Genesis this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, We read about the man, his God, and the tree. In verse 4, Moses records that these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. As God still breathes into men in the breath of life, He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge. Of good and evil. For brevity's sake, in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the trees, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here is the creature. Here is His Creator. And here is the context in which the Creator has placed His creature. A creature that is made in His own image. A creature that He has breathed out of His own life, life into that He may be a living being. He sets him in the garden and He gives him a task. He says, have dominion. Work it. Care for it. You may eat and do as you will. I have but one law. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat it, the consequence is severe. You will surely die. Not just that you... Could die, or that you might die, or even that you will die, but that you will surely, with emphasis, die. Now, the man's not the only sentient creature in the garden. In Genesis 3, verse 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Deceive her he did. Lots of truth and a little bit of lie. Oh, you will become like Him in the most twisted way that you could possibly understand. For the day you have eaten it, you will understand the difference between good and evil. When you cease to be good and become evil, and sin will have its wage. And you will surely die. And so God curses the man and the woman. And He says to the woman in chapter 3 and. Verse 16, I will put, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Paradise lost. Paradise lost indeed. Amen. You notice that the Lord God, it says over and over and over, when the garden was being prepared, caused the plants to spring forth from the earth. He put a man in it and he said, Have dominion over it. Friends, the best that we can tell from reading the Word of God about the creation before the fall, that dominion was a joyful labor in the Lord. Apparently it did not contain the sweat of your brow. It was not sticky dust on your face. You ever really worked? You ever worked in the hay barn or in the field, or, or, or for us it's vaccinating cattle when it's just like talcum powder? Man, you get in there and sweat. And you've been sweating all day and all that dust is flowing. And you get out and you dry for the first time and you feel like someone walked up to you with a bottle half full of wesson oil and water, shook it real good, gave you a squirt in the face and then blew some dust on you. Apparently it wasn't that way. Man, Adam numbered all of the living creatures. Something we haven't had the ability to do today, he did it by himself. Knew every one of them was kind. The mental power alone must have been staggering. Or worse, let the punishment fit the crime. Here we have Adam who was supposed to be the head of his wife and leading his wife and instead he's allowing her to engage with the most sinister beasts that exist all while he sits back and kicks the turf and keeps his mouth shut until they both go off the cliff together. And so too he says to her, not only will you have pain in childbearing, but your desire will be to grasp after your husband. The curse continues, but we all know where it's going. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken; for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so at this moment, especially if we're trying to, to, to read this with fresh eyes, which I would encourage you to do consistently with Scripture, it, it, at this moment we ought to go, okay, hold on just a minute because what just happened to on the day you eat of it you shall surely die? That this will absolutely, positively, without a doubt, happen to you when you consume of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On that day you shall surely die. And now, God, you seem to be saying something different. Look, you're made out of dust, and to dust you will eventually return. What about today you will surely die? Die they did. The foundational reality of the existence of mankind. What truly makes a human being is they were designed to be a human being. The foundational res- reality of the existence of man is not his physical being. Instead, it is his, his spiritual and Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. None at all. And it's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh isn't any help. The words that I've spoken to you are Spirit and life. And you go, yeah, Pastor Brown, we get it. But I mean, look, we were all born well before we were going to save and we've been walking around alive ever since then. No, you think that's alive because you spent so much time dead. It is because of the death of our spirit at the fall that we view physical life as more foundational than it actually is. I think it's that misunderstanding and you can take this for what it's worth because it is my opinion. It is that misunderstanding that causes us often to look shockingly at the way scripture consistently encourages the people of God to joyfully set aside their own physical life if the kingdom necessitates it. Without the spirit, Adam immediately, so his spirit is dead that being the fundamental reality of a man's life. <clears throat> well, Scripture says that the Lord has given us this spirit in jars of clay. Without it, Adam's just empty jar. And he begins to do what all the jars of antiquity do turned to dust right back from which he came what's more concerning for us is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 is that that death and decay did not see fit to remain with Adam but that it instead spread Man, Paul says some pretty amazing stuff right here in chapter 5. and We don't have time to, to get into all of it, but if you'll just look real quick. He says, Therefore, in verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Why did all sin? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who were sinning. It was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul talks about two different things here. He talks about sin. He talks about transgression. There is a difference between these two things though they are closely related. Sin is defined by the holy righteousness of God's character. And anything that falls short of the holy righteousness of God's character is sinful and unacceptable before Him, and the wage of that is death. Transgression is when you break a rule. Now, rule-breaking may or may not be sin depending on who makes the rule and whether or not it is a righteous rule. Men make all sorts of rules all throughout history that the people of God have been compelled to break, to keep from sin. But when God makes the rule, it is always reflective of the character that is the standard for sin versus righteousness. So here you are in the garden. And you've got one man and one woman. And God says there's one rule Here it is. Don't eat of the tree. Don't become evil. Adam has the opportunity to both sin and to transgress. He can do what is apart from the character of God and having done so. Now that God has given the statute that this is my character, don't do this. Now he's also transgressed. It's very clear. That's the thing about a law. It lets you know the boundaries. It lets you know the difference between sin and righteousness. The thing is, is from Adam to Moses, God gave no law. He gave no law. As a matter of fact, it says that men were carried on by their own conscience. And it was not enough to save them. Flood was proof of that, but you didn't have to have cataclysm and judgment. The judgment of death is the natural course of a sinful man who does not have a living spirit in him. You don't have to be you don't have to have a law to be a sinner. Because it is not the wage of the law that is death, it is the wage of sin that is death. And it got all of us. And Scripture even tells us how it does. Which is perhaps more concerning than just the fact that it did. Because if the lesson here was, listen, so far it's got everybody, don't let it get you too. But that's not the lesson. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, finishing up Adam's narrative. Their story. Genesis chapter 5, not Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. and He had other sons and daughters and thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he dusted. He finally fell apart to the point that the highly organized work that the potter had created was no longer a functioning vessel. These are the generations of man. When God made them, He made them male and female in His own likeness. When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in His likeness and after His image. Not after the image and the likeness of God as He had been made, but instead after His own fallen, sinful, dead in spirit, dying in flesh image. And Seth passed it on to the next, and 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 the next, next, all the way down the line to you and me. You go, man, what a miserable condition. Amen. But I'll take it one further with you. You see, man, when you look at that, we're going to talk about rejoicing here that, is, that doesn't sound like the way you want to start the first half of the sermon off that is about joy. Oh no, friends, it, it is exactly where you want to start. If you're going to talk about the kind of rejoicing that rejoices in the midst of suffering, if you're going to talk about that kind of rejoicing that doesn't get sold short, then yes, this is exactly where we want to start. And then Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, considering the condition of men, which he is now explaining that all died in Adam, even whose sinning wasn't like the transgression, even the ones that didn't have a rule to break, man, it's just what they were because they were made in the likeness of their Father. He says, man, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But humans are neither. They are the very enemies of a righteous God. Now man, how does that end in rejoicing and boasting? I would tell you it ends in rejoicing and boasting because the greatest joy the greatest expression of that joy in rejoicing and boasting comes when victory is delivered out of absolute despair. That's how. You know, when you're playing the game and your team's down by one score, you still got a few minutes left, you've got the ball, and they've shown themselves capable all night. Yeah, you rejoice when they win. But you don't rejoice in the same manner that you rejoice if it's an absolute blowout and then something that equates to the human version of a miracle happens before your eyes in the last three minutes. And that's when people go crazy, man. The highest levels of rejoicing come when victory is delivered out of complete despair. Despair. And buddy, there's no one that's in complete despair like the sons and daughters of Adam. They didn't have a chance. They were born dead. Born dead. So dead in the Spirit that they all walk around thinking that because the physical portion of their equation is alive for a while, then that means they're actually alive. (coughs) See, that actually makes it worse. (coughs) makes you less likely to feel the desperation you need to feel to go see what can be done about this. Even back in Genesis. Even in the midst, in the midst of God telling them just how dead they are. Amen. This is the Gospel. Paul says in this, this this is the power of God unto salvation. This is the righteousness of God revealed. This is the wrath of God revealed. The man right there in Genesis, you're seeing it, right? I mean, he's dressing them down. I told you. Now here it comes. In the midst of that, he speaks to the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, bitter hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This last statement has historically been called Proto-Evangelium. Technically that would mean before the Gospel. I would tell you what it is, is the first Gospel that man ever heard. It was the display of the shocking character of God in the midst of great wrath. It's so shocking that mankind didn't even understand what was being said to them for millennia. He Shall crush your head. Notice this promise that was, it's kind of a backhanded promise, right? Because it's not made to Adam and Eve as though he's speaking to them. They're in audience, they're hearing what is being said, but he's speaking to the serpent. This is a statement of judgment. By which the judgment of the enemy brings hope for the future people of God, and so they overhear God speaking to him. He says, "Okay, on the, you know, you're going on your belly, you dust all the day of your life, all that sort of thing." There's definitely some reference there to let the punishment fit the crime with what he did with Adam, all these sorts of things. And he said, "Here's the deal: the seed of the woman, I will—he will hate you—and out of that perfect hatred." will crush your head. At that point, if you're the woman, the man, this should cause you to perk up this too, You go, man, for Adam and for the generations, generations that came after him, I mean, we all know it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I believe to a certain extent, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. We all know that the fulfillment of this is Jesus Christ. Then on the cross, he bruised Christ's heel, and what Christ used the cross to do was take it like a fence post and bang it right on top of it. John chapter 1. Everything that's being said in this curse that is a blessing to the people that are hearing it, everything that is said. Is dependent on the fact that the one that's saying it is the creator of everything that's in context. He's the creator of the man, he's the creator of the woman, he's the creator of the serpent, he's the creator of the universe in which they live. Everything is dependent on the fact that he's the creator. That's why he gets to go. Look, I said it was this way, now it's this way. Like the whole way physics is working is changing. You used to not sweat, now you do. Your stuff's coming apart. It didn't come apart. It's all dependent on the fact that the one that's saying it is the Creator. Which, when we see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ, is exactly the first thing we're reminded of in John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, the very thing that they just lost, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcoming. When He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring and He will crush your head. It was fulfilled in the light of the Creator, Jesus Christ. You go, man, that was like... I mean, even if you're like a hardcore numbers guy, that's a 4,000 years. We can't remember most of us what happened 40 years ago with any kind of accuracy. And you go, hey man, you rewind this back to the garden, you've got Adam and his wife, there's going to be an incredible amount of distress and despair. It's a very intense scenario. I mean, you just drop dead and you're still alive enough to talk about it. And unlike us, he wasn't born that way. He knows what it was like before. It's very clear to him how dead he actually is. You go, man, and, and all you get is crush your head, bruise your heel. Like, man, you know, maybe, maybe Proto Evangelion is a pretty good description because that don't sound like much. And we're going to talk about the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. You go, man, that's not a lot of light shining in Eden. It's really not. At least it doesn't seem like much. For Adam's and the generations that came after him, including Abraham, who Paul has just said is the very father of faith from which we find our lineage, it's not a lot of light to boast in. I would tell you, friends, that the lack of boasting that you see in the generations that come after Adam all the way through Noah and the Tower of Babel and It's not a failure on the part of the light. The problem is that dusty little creatures have dusty little perspectives. It's like going outside at night and looking up at a little pinpoint of light that is, in actuality, not a pinpoint at all but a raging nuclear fire in which matter is literally being created and destroyed. One of the means, one of the physical means that God uses to bring something out of nothing. We look up at it and we see this little pinpoint of light. When it's actually sometimes larger than the distance between our sun and our planet. But it looks tiny it's a hundred million light years away and the creature's perspective is so limited that he has no ability to understand it being exactly as big as it is. Still, somebody's got to inform us how big it is. We see this all throughout Scripture. These guys, whose death was not like Adam, who didn't have a transgression to break, but yet sin spread to them anyway. You want to know what you rejoice in from the very beginning, from the very beginning, in the midst of what was supposed to be, and by expectation, nothing but wrath and judgment from a holy God, and yet in it we see this promise that something's coming. You. Fast forward just down the line of generations a little ways. You find yourself in Numbers chapter 24 in verse 15. He talks about it like this. Begum talks about it with this perspective idea that, man, there is something out there. But it's just too far away for me to really be able to see what it is. I just know that when it gets here, it's going to be a really, really big deal says that he took up his discourse and he said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eyes is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemy shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. You've got Adam and Eve, man. You're like, man, you're looking at just like a pinpoint. We push that thing forward a couple millennia. And you got Balaam going, Man, I seen, but not right now. He's, he's too far away. But let me tell you there's a scepter that's rising. And it's coming out of Jacob. And when it gets here, it will crush the head of all of the seeds of the serpent that were promised so long ago. It's now been. Revealed. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. It is as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, if you want to talk about the kind of rejoicing that lets you rejoice in the hope something that's by definition not fully here yet, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and do so even in the midst of our sufferings, the first thing you do is not to run to the end and go, okay, i got to I gotta rejoice in suffering. No, stop. Stop. It was as bad as it could be. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. And that's why I love what before the throne, I stand in incomplete. Jesus died, my soul saved. Mm-hmm. My lips shall still repeat. You know why the still is there? Because that's the heart that understands. <clears throat> that while the character of God and His salvation is absolute, men should have had zero expectancy of it. Heaven forbid we ever suppose upon God that He would forgive those who are truly guilty. And we all are. Heaven forbid that we should ever impose upon Him that I'll come get it when I feel like it because you're just sitting there waiting. No, friends, let me tell you something. It was as bad as it could be, which means that when God comes and He causes the exact opposite to to happen that had previously happened, and instead of on this day you shall surely die, but on this day you will surely live, and not only live, for a season, but live eternally and not only shall you live, it just keeps getting better. The way I'm going to make you live is I'm going to pay for it myself and I'm going to do it in such a way that by the time it's done, you're my kid. Tell me something, Peter, does the uh, son of the king pay the tax? I don't think so. Give it to him. I we'll not talk about it, honestly. You want to rejoice? You start with despair. So that when that has firmly ingrained itself into your heart and mind, then the Gospel is good news. Good news. Not common news. Not news that is talked about flippantly or casually, but good news. Good news. And this God, He calls into existence that which does not exist. He causes the dead to live, and He's done it all through His Son. So Paul continues in Romans chapter five and verse fifteen through seventeen, and He says, "Okay, here's the way it was." This is why Paul starts here. Here's the way it was. They're all dead. Spread to all of them. They were all born in His image. Even when they didn't have a lot of break, he was still killing every single one of them. Mortality rate was 100%. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass. It's not. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the results of one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses. Yeah. Many, I think mean he's being intentionally, I think mean he's intentionally underselling it right there to make a point. Many trespasses because you know Paul's got the urge to blow that thing up. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification by God who managed to stay just while doing it, whose plan it was to do it from the moment He spoke the curse. For if because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Friends, grace abounds. Grace abounds. We don't have, I can't do it today. I mean, it, it, I, I, made, I made a statement earlier that was. Not technically correct, and I would like to rectify that at this moment, if I could, please. When we talk about God and the joy that you get when you're in a place that was of absolute despair because of events that had occurred, and there was no way out, and then you find out that not only is there a way out, but it's the best way that anything has ever been conceived of, and is the free gift of God to you in Jesus Christ, okay? And and you find out I said that God is doing the exact opposite thing of what was done before, that is an incorrect statement. Friends, he is not just doing the opposite of what is done before. He is not just repairing the things that were broken. He is going so far beyond that. Then the final condition of glorification that man is left with (coughs) makes Adam in his original incarnation look like a pauper. Grace abounds. Romans chapter, I mean, yeah, you know, it's technically correct if you say he's doing the opposite. It was death, and now it's life, it was judgment, and now it's grace. But when you really examine the two, they may be qualifiably opposites. They're not quantifiably opposites. There's massive difference. Chris Bounds. Therefore, verse 18, as one trespass, led to the condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase trespass. (laughs) Why, why, would you, why, would you, why would you send a law to increase trespass? Because they were sinners anyway. And none of them knew it. And if you don't know your condition, you can never revel in the salvation that God offers. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Today, the law is a tough nut to crack. And yet grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.